This is your Tuesday Daily Delivery, your favorite daily sports podcast. I am Michael Rand. A lot to get to today in our 30 minutes together. Get Chris Hine, Star Tribune Timberwolves beat writer on in just a little bit. But first, what did I miss? Um, no games really last night among the local teams, but a couple of interesting moves that you might be maybe scratching your head at a little bit. So let me explain them here uh, quickly as, as best I can. Um, first, let's start with the Twins. They signed Matt Shoemaker uh, to a one-year, $2 million deal. And you're looking at Matt Shoemaker and you're like, why do they want a pitcher, a starting pitcher in particular, who has such an injury history, right? I mean, this is a guy that's only pitched 18 combined games in the last three seasons and 32 in the last four seasons. And even before that, he was good. I don't know if we would call him great. His best year probably still his rookie season when he went 16-4. and Very good rookie season, but he's been beset by injuries since then. So why does this make sense? Well, it's a low-cost move, first of all. It's first one year, $2 million. So if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. And the other thing is, in looking at his injury history, I was interested to find out uh, in Phil Miller's story in Star Tribune, StarTribune.com, that it's not like it's been one thing. And maybe that should be a red flag to me. That's actually that's actually more of a comfort than, than anything than anything else. You know, it kind of started in 2016 when he took a line drive off of his head. Terrible, awful. I remember that injury. Uh, fractured his skull, had to have surgery to, uh, to repair a hematoma. Um, 2017, he had a compressed nerve in his pitching arm. That's troubling. 2018, he had some of that same problem. He had a tendon problem. 2019, he, uh, he was off to a good start with the Blue Jays, but then he tore his ACL. And last year, he had right shoulder inflammation. So kind of a, a, a variety of things have gone wrong for Matt Shoemaker. But to me, that, that should at least, it at least tells me it's not like an elbow that keeps getting hurt or it's a recurring problem in one body part, I guess. Um, you know, the thing you should probably be encouraged by the most was 2019 when before he tore his ACL, he was 3-0, and 1.57 ERA and five starts. Like if, if he can get healthy um, and get kind of past what seems like in some cases a lot of freak stuff. Of course, the arm stuff worries you, but as a low-cost flyer and someone who maybe has put all this behind him and we'll see, um, it, it makes a certain amount of sense. Now, the Lynx, meanwhile, made what looked like a really lopsided trade not in their favor, right? On Monday, they traded Odyssey Sims, who was an all-star for them a couple years ago. They traded the negotiating rights to Tammy Fabenle. They traded 2022 draft picks in both the first and third rounds to Indiana for only a 2022 second-round pick. What kind of sense does that make? Well, basically, it is their bet on the future and the players they are acquiring. They need space under the salary cap. They've committed to acquiring Ariel Powers and Kayla McBride and Natalie Achanwa. Those players all in now. I think the Powers signing became official on Monday, so you got to have room under the cap to make those moves. So clearing up cap space, clearing up roster spots, remaking really the supporting cast and, and you know some of the, the prime players on this team with those moves. So that explains that, at least in my book. You look at it like you traded two players and a better draft pick plus a third-round pick for a second-round pick. What are you doing? Well, that's what they're doing, and we'll see if it pays off in what, you know, what looks to be a very intriguing 2021 season for the Lynx. 
I'm Nyla Jean Myers, Senior Assistant Sports Editor at the Star Tribune. Thank you for listening to Strip Sports Daily Delivery. This work is made possible by our Star Tribune subscribers. For unlimited access to the articles mentioned in this podcast and our coverage of Minnesota sports from pros to preps, go to startribune.com slash subscribe. I'd like to welcome in Chris Hine right now. Chris covers the Timberwolves for the Star Tribune. He's very excited about the cold weather we've been having lately. He told me all about that in our pre-production meeting, how he's just been <laughs> spending a lot of time in the great outdoors in Minnesota. Chris, really, okay. though, how are you doing? I'm doing all right. Still holding up, uh, you know, in, in month 11 of isolation here in my apartment. Uh, trying trying to hang in there as best we can. We're going to make it through this. The the. I think mm-hmm. the finish line is is in sight. I just can't. I can't see exactly where it is, but I, I feel like I can. It's going to come into view at, at some point here, and in, in not too long. It'll get easier when things get nicer out. That's for sure. We're not here to talk about the weather, though. We're here to talk about the Timberwolves mm-hmm. and Carl Anthony Towns. We've now seen three games back um, since you know, since he missed you know close to a month with after the COVID diagnosis. What? Maybe just start with your impressions of his play in his return and how the wolves have looked now that we're able to see at least a little bit of a sample size with, with their best player back. Yeah. I think watching that game yesterday against Toronto, um, it it really hits you just how differently defenses have to play against the Timberwolves when Carl Anthony Towns is on the floor versus when he's not. Um, How many times if you watch that game, was he just swarmed when he yeah. had the ball, uh, you know, below the free throw line? It just seemed like Toronto's game plan was, okay, we're going to double him, triple him, make him give it up to somebody else and have somebody else beat us. And that creates open shots for, for guys like Malik Beasley, who had another six threes yesterday, and he had seven in the game before. So you see the kind of attention that he commands on the offensive end just opens things up for everybody else, uh, whether it's Beasley, whether it's Anthony Edwards, who has played well alongside Towns these last couple of games here, I think. Um, so really, the way opposing teams have to game plan and prepare defensively to play the Wolves just is so much different when he's on the floor. Yeah, I think that's interesting because I think that was the first game he was back. Beasley didn't score in the first half, I think. And so they were still kind of figuring out like, okay, the spacing and how is how is he going to benefit from that? Because, you know, really when Towns was out, he was, you know, when both Towns and Russell were out for at least that stretch together, Beasley was certainly their most, you know, reliable scorer. And maybe throughout this season, you know, he's been kind of one a to towns as one mm-hmm. when they've both, when they've both been out there, just in his ability to, you know, create space and, and hit those threes. What he had six of them against Toronto. Right. And he had, yep. what there was a game he had seven, I think. And that was kind of the game where he almost rallied them the game against Charlotte. Yeah. yeah. Right. Almost, and yeah. And the game against Dallas, he had a bunch as well. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I think you're right that the spacing there is an interesting question. And then of course, just Towns's gifts offensively on the court, wind wise and just kind of like you know where he's at right now how far do you think he has left to go until he's you know more than 80 or 90 percent of himself yeah I, you know it's it's a tough question because part of that you know i think there's two parts to that one is the the physical aspect and i think um physically i think he's he's getting pretty seems like he's getting pretty close to, to where he was, uh, you know, at the first two games of the season. But 
emotionally, mentally, I think it, I think that was pretty clear on Friday when you heard him talk about the, um, the, the COVID protocols that Charlotte had to go through Friday where they lost three players uh, to, in that game or before that, before that game. And, it, and Towns said it spooked him to hear that news that Charlotte had to sit these three guys because of potential exposure to the virus. Um, so uh, mentally, emotionally, I think that's a, that's going to be a nonlinear thing because there's going to be things that pop up during the season, given all that he has been through that are just going to affect him. And, you know, it's, it's, it's tough. And, and his candor throughout this process, I think is, is a reminder to everybody that, you know, the, the physical effects of the virus may, may be gone. Um, but the mental and emotional toll that this virus can have on you, especially if you've lost family members to it, the way that he has uh, is not going to go away as easily if, if at all ever. So, you know, from, from that aspect, I think it's, that's going to be very much a work in progress the, the, the rest of the season and a nonlinear process of, of, of grieving and, and getting back out there on the floor and trying to do what you do, what you, you know, something that you once loved to do and trying to find some sort of, of happiness. And that is a whole different process. Given all that, it's probably even more impressive what he's been able to do on the court in, in these three games. I think they, you know, the thing, things make sense. I think, you know, Friday, um, Friday was a good step, but I'd say Sunday was definitely, you know, when you saw what they were able to do against the Raptors who are a below 500 team this season, mm-hmm. but still, you know, a team with, recent championship past a team that is you know hoping and vying to get into the postseason at least again this year that has a lot of good players that they were able to have all five starters in double figures they put Jared Vanderbilt in the starting lineup they're able to close out that game even with Towns fouling out and things kind of looking like they could go sideways do you feel like the the rotations and kind of the how how the roster is set even without D'Angelo Russell healthy and we'll get to that in a minute you feel like it makes sense right now like they they kind of have they kind of it seems like more of how they want to play now that towns is back i think so i think i think you're getting there and you're seeing you know playing time start to decrease for some of the guys who you might have penciled in for for major minutes like a josh akogi or a wancho hernan gomez and hernan gomez you know had his own COVID issues to to get through um but he's available to play now and he's not playing much so I think you're seeing right now that the meritocracy is kind of shaking out. Um, it's, it can be a slower process, especially when, you know, you're trying to trust young guys who maybe haven't been in these roles before, but, you know, here's Jared Vanderbilt on the floor playing major minutes starting. Uh, there's Jaden McDaniels on the floor guarding Pascal Siakam when the game is on the line. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, you're seeing these, these young players start to get these major roles and, and be relied on in, in clutch situations to come through. And that's not something that you, you might've seen late December, early January. I like the word meritocracy. That was interesting because you're right. It has, and it has been a lot of the veterans that have seen their, playing time go down i mean josh Kogi is a young veteran still it's his third year but we haven't and, seen ed davis at all recently. haven't seen ed davis at all. i haven't seen much of jake layman in the last few days yep. even though he had a decent run i thought of of a, of a mm-hmm. few good games in there it has been more of you know with especially with russell out it's been you know uh, jordan mclaughlin it's been naz reed you know whose role has gone down a little bit mm-hmm. now that towns is back but still 
you know, being counted upon. It's the, the guys you just mentioned, Vanderbilt and, uh, and McDaniels and then, uh, and then Jalen Noel, like the, you know, it's the, the rookies and the, the G league guys from last year. And you know, that, that, that have been kind of forming a pretty good second unit. And sometimes this closing lineup because of their length and their athleticism and kind of the, their willingness to kind of put it all out on the line in, in some regards. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think, when you look at what some of these guys bring to the table, um, like a Vanderbilt or McDaniels, there's a defensive edge to the way that they play that is not present on the roster, um, especially with some of the guys we mentioned, like like Hernan Gomez or Lehman. These guys take defending, not to say others don't take it seriously, but defending is a big part of their of their games right now. McDaniels, you still see some rookie mistakes out there, but the athleticism and I think instincts that he has, especially as it pertains to shot blocking is something that nobody else on this team has right now. Um, and that's why he's on the floor guarding Pascal Siakam with the game on the line. And yeah, and they're, they're bringing it every night. They're they're and they're just adding something to the mix that, that was missing early in the season. And I think that's why you're seeing, you're seeing some of these guys creep up in minutes and deservedly. So you know, Wolves Twitter, bless Wolves Twitter, and I'm I fall victim to it uh, sometimes myself. I am an active member sometimes of Wolves Twitter. Would <laughs> love uh, all these young guys to play every single minute to the point that it, it's been play, it's play been, eight or nine of them at a time, right? Been, just throw, can just they throw cheat them the all system? Out there. But, but, yeah. <laughs> but but they, you know, here's a text I, I sent you a text. I think it was last week or two weeks ago. It was like, mm-hmm. who would you rather if you if you could have a line? Who who would win in a scrimmage? with um the five guys i mentioned reed mclaughlin mcdaniels uh uh vanderbilt and um who's the fifth one ant yeah of course and maybe yeah. noel uh there's noel, your sixth man yeah. and then you know against the, the typical what would have been the starting five at the start of the year so you know russell towns beasley a kogi and ernan gomez who, who do you like in that game i still like the i still like towns and russell because I, I still think that that second group would have trouble defending and the second group would also have a little more difficulty scoring. I feel like yeah, I think those, that's fair. those guys, those guys yeah, outside of Jalen Noel, or if Ant was on that, on that group, but even then, like that's like one of them and McLaughlin would be like the only offensive yeah. option. So I, I still would take as much as you might want to write about wanting to, to take that second group and have them win. I think realistically, you guess you still got to take that first group. I agree. It's, it's strangely, it's strangely tempting in, not in a realistic way, but it, 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 I guess maybe it more underscores the theme of the year, which has been the, the surprising emergence maybe of some of these Iowa guys and some of these younger guys, especially McDaniels and the relative disappointment you know, the town's disappointment is obviously much different. He just hasn't been able to be on the court as much. And the D'Lo disappointment is, you know, part availability, part what we've seen when he's been on the court. But a lot of that's been without towns. But it's, it's kind of this kind of dichotomy between the, the, you know, kind of the emergence of some of these young guys and the relative disappointment of a lot of the older players that has kind of narrowed the gap between what would imagine you would imagine to be their, their bona fide first five and then, you know, kind of what would, you know, largely be kind of a, a, a an afterthought group yeah. aside from aside from Edwards. Yeah, and and that's a tricky thing about evaluating the season, though, is that you know you, you mentioned the dealer disappointment. Part of that has to do with Towns not being available, and 
it's like, how can you draw any definitive conclusions about how D'Angelo Russell or anybody else really fits into this team long-term for the rest of this season and moving forward if Towns isn't on the floor playing with them because that figures so much into, into how the Wolves want to operate moving forward. Now that he's actually back, we're able to see some of these things. We're able to see how Malik Beasley is, is getting open shots and hitting them at a, at a, at a very good rate. When Towns is drawing uh, uh, defensive attention away from him, we're seeing him and Anthony Edwards develop some chemistry, operating off the pick and roll late in games. So you're starting to see some of these things uh, that we were waiting to see come to fruition. Now we have to see when Russell gets back and uh, unsure when he's going to be back at this point. Um, we have to see what happens when he and Carl finally get to play more than two games in a row together. Yeah, and that remains a frustration, right? I mean, and, you know, I was looking back at Delo's years before this one, and, you know, one of the, I guess, one of the underrated parts of, of Andrew Wiggins, who we couldn't wait to run out of town, and I, I certainly was among them, was that he, you know, you may not <laughs> you may not have always loved him when he was on the court, but he was durable. Um, he was on the Dilo, court, yes. Yeah, Delo has not really been durable in his career, even beyond this year. I know he had a, he had a season where he played 80 games. He had another one where he played 81. Other than that, it's been kind of nicks and scratches, you know, 20 games here, 30 games there, and is missed in a season. Um, so I don't know if he's ever going to be that guy here. But I think the the bigger picture is, yeah, what, what do he and Towns look like together? And, you know, once he is healthy, how does that – how does that impact, you know, some of the other positive things that they have that they have going? Because even at his best, he's not a plus defensive player. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's more kind of what's what's that pick and roll going to look like, and what, you know, what can that do for an offense, you know, at the start of games, at the end of games, in particular. Yeah, and and that changes the dynamic of of different things too. I don't I don't think it affects Beasley as much um, when Russell comes back because I think. BC's role will still be playing off the ball, trying to get open, finding that open space um, off of Russell and Towns. I, but I'll be interested to see how Russell's return impacts Edwards, especially because we have been seeing him and Carl operating that, that little pick and roll um, the last couple games here. And just the, the number of touches that Edwards has gotten as a result of, of Russell being out, I feel like has gone up as well. So, That'll be what I'm going to be keeping an eye on once Russell eventually does return is how does this impact Edwards, whether Edwards gets more time, maybe with the second unit where he can be more of the creator initiator. uh, So that when he is splitting time with Russell and towns, you know, when he might not get the ball as much, like that'll be his time to fill up the stat sheet a little bit. Um, So how, how Edwards is used, I think is going to be uh, important to watch going forward. Yeah, and you know, I'll be interested to see too. Does does Jaden McDaniels does his role continue to evolve? Would they ever consider you know moving him into the starting lineup, or or you know, does do his minutes stay as long as he's doing the things he's doing? I just look, yeah. he's a he's been a plus player in seven of the last nine games, and the Wolves are three and six in those games. So it's not like he's you know doing this for a a great team. Good things tend to happen when he's on the court, um, particularly yep. defensively, and you know he and um, you know, Vanderbilt on the court at the same time, give you some flexibility with, with guarding positions and, you know, they're a little limited offensively, but it's almost like the second unit they throw out there sometimes is, is holding serve by limiting the opponent, not by matching them basket for basket, which is kind of different than a lot of other second units operate. I feel like. 
Yeah, and I think you're right. I think it is more defensive oriented, and and I think there was there were stretches uh, in yesterday's game where I was I was looking at the scoreboard. I'm like, the scoreboard hasn't moved much in a while, <laughs> or, or there hasn't really hasn't been a lot of scoring over this stretch for either team. Yeah, and I think that that's what you're looking for out of that, out of that second unit as currently constructed. Um, you know, Russell's on the way back. Jared Culver will be back at some point. Remember right. him? Yeah, um, barely. He's still yeah. on the team. Um, <laughs> he's still on the team and he'll be back, uh, you know, somewhat soonish. Uh, at least, uh, that was the initial timetable on his injury. Um, so a lot of still, still a lot of things to answer because Carl's return throws a lot of things into flux and, and what you were evaluating the first 25 or so games is not what you're going to be evaluating the next 25 games when, when he assuming Carl plays most of those games. Yeah. And that's kind of leads to the last question I have for you. Like if you're a, if you're a Wolves fan, you're what you're sitting there, they're seven and 20. I think that's a disappointment to them. Mm -hmm. It's a disappointment to fans, even if they understand, you know, the why of it, you know, a lot of close losses towns out. This was definitely not the, not the plan this year to be seven and 20 at this point. What's the, with, you know, with towns, back um presumably healthy for the the foreseeable future you imagine the the russell injury even though they classify it as you know kind of a a day-to-day ongoing monitoring it doesn't seem like it's going to be like a season ending thing i would imagine it's going to be kind of a we got to watch it and at a certain point hopefully in the next couple weeks he he returns what's the the ceiling is maybe the wrong word but like if if you're if you're hoping that they can play it x clip the rest of the way is it 500 is it a little bit less than that what what's the what, how do you reset expectations based on what you know about this team now i think if you if you finish if russell gets back and you play 500 ball the rest of the year i think you i don't want to say you want you'd be ecstatic at that prospect but you i think you'd certainly be optimistic heading into the off season uh, assuming you know that's not good enough to make the playoffs which it won't be. no um so I think 500 would be on the more optimistic end of things. Um, I I, th- I think I just look at it this way. When was the last time the, Timber- the Timberwolves had a winning streak of any yeah. kind? Like right. you won, you win four in a row, you win five of six or something like that. It, it's been a, it's been a long time since they had a stretch that, that got people really excited. They've had some nice games here and there. Yeah. Like that game against Utah earlier in the year, was, right. but it was just one game. Right. Um, the one game that they had after they made the trades last year against the Clippers, that was just one game that, but that was preceded by a whole lot of losing. Um, I, I think the last time they had a legit stretch like that was just after they traded Jimmy Butler for, yeah. for Covington. They were nine and three in that nine and three and nine and three in that 12 yeah, game yeah, stretch. Yeah. 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 That was the last time you ever kind of got excited for where this, where this team might be headed. So just seeing maybe a couple stretches like that, it's a low bar, <laughs> but so you but put together a, a five, out, like a five out right. of seven or something like win five right, out exactly. of seven. Then, then let's talk about what the expectations let's are. Talk about what the, right. Right. So that's why I say, you know, a 500 streak would be, you'd be maybe over the moon if that, if that happened yeah. with everybody healthy. Well, we'll see. They've got the Lakers, um, what uh tuesday night that's not really a way to start a winning streak i don't know it's not no it's not um <laughs> it and seem so to be. The, the schedule isn't schedule isn't necessarily conducive i feel one thing that hurt them a little while ago is you know when they had kind of a more favorable stretch i feel like they had a lot of people out weren't able yeah. to take advantage of that but i'm sure there are some 
spots in the schedule where they might be able to put together something as the season goes along. And, you know, we'll just have to wait and see. As always with the Timberwolves, we will wait and see. Um, Chris, great stuff. Thanks for joining the podcast today. Follow Chris, um, Star Tribune, startribune.com, at Christopher Hine on Twitter. And uh, Chris, you're welcome anytime. We'll see you again soon. Thanks, Mike. Savvy podcast listeners will remember that when you hear that sound, it is because I feel like a trade machine. Going back to the Kirk Cousins, well, yeah, I'm doing it. Okay, so this is less of a, this is less of a. Here's what's going to happen, and more of a. I've come to this conclusion um, that if we get an inkling of any sort that the Vikings are interested in exploring a Kirk Cousins trade that this team makes the most sense and not the other team. The other team in question here being San Francisco. You keep hearing, hey, could, why don't they trade him to San Francisco? The, the 49ers, uh, you know, Kyle Shanahan loves him. They need a quarterback, and that's true. However, however, here's, here's, my, here's what I've been thinking about Kirk, Kirk Cousins lately. He's an established, you know, above-average quarterback. His body of work suggests... Not a quarterback that's going to take a team, though, probably to the next level. He got in Minnesota in 2018, right? Um, year after they won 13 games, went to the NFC title game. He's probably thinking, okay, everybody's probably thinking, okay, more QB stability, better body of work than Case Keenum. Here's a guy that can take you over the top. Instead, the next three seasons, his first three seasons here, they won eight games, 10 games, and seven games. They made the playoffs one time. You know, not a terrible run, but not what anybody expected. And not all of that was his fault. Some of it was, though. He is instead a quarterback best suited to provide stability, I think, to an organization. So a team trying to trade for him should not be expecting to go from, you know, should not be expecting to go from, like, the the cusp of the Super Bowl, uh, you know, to holding the Lombardi Trophy, to, to go from, like, really good to great. They should be expecting to maybe go from being bad to being credible so there's not a lot of teams that necessarily fit that description or at least that don't have a a young quarterback that they're really locked in on and trying to develop but there is one very interesting team to me Denver Broncos have won an average of 5.8 games the last four seasons they've been getting pretty inferior quarterback play from the likes of Trevor Simeon old friend Case Keenum old friend Joe Flacco and Drew Locke. And they say they're committed to developing Locke. There's not much, though, that we saw last season that makes you think this guy is the QB of the future. You know, it's a two- to three-year bridge, maybe even a longer-term solution. Cousins would make a lot of sense in Denver. And Denver did pursue Kirk Cousins in 2018 when he was a free agent. And Denver just did hire former Vikings assistant GM George Payton to be there executive in denver so the pieces are in place broncos have the number nine pick in the draft that's maybe a high price but maybe they can figure this out if and only if the vikings got interested in this boy they'd have the the nine pick and the 14 pick if they could work that out that's a lot of draft capital for doing a lot of different things whether you want to go after deshaun watson whether you want to try to move up and draft one of those top quarterbacks all in all though The point of this is that I think Denver or a team like Denver makes a lot more sense than San Francisco or a team like San Francisco if a trade ever materializes. 
Let's finish quickly with the cooler. The Wild will be back on the ice Tuesday night in Los Angeles, but defensively you might not recognize them. This was shocking, at least to me. I haven't been following this quite as closely, but reading from Sarah McClellan's story in today's Star Tribune, read her work, Star Tribune, startribune.com. I'll have her on the show later this week. Jonas Brodeen, Brad Hunt, and Carson Soucy are still in the COVID protocols as of Tuesday morning. Ian Cole just came off the list Monday, but he is not expected to play Tuesday. Jared Spurgeon also still out with an upper body injury. Well, that's a lot of defensemen. They've called up a lot of reinforcements from the taxi squad, including this 20-year-old Kalen Addison, who apparently has some pretty sick flow, a nice mullet. To, uh, to show off. So it could be a little bit ragged. Maybe they'll play on adrenaline in this first game, these first few games back, but give the Wild a little bit of grace, I would imagine, as they try to come back from these COVID protocols. That will do it for today. I'll be joined tomorrow by Lavelle E. Neal III for some Twins talk and uh, some good stuff coming up, coming up later in the week as well. Thanks always for listening. Download, subscribe, write a review. The haters said you would never write a review, but I believe in you. I think you can do it. Thanks for joining me here today on Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand.